Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, a film podcast that has really made a rod for its own back with these bloody intros. <laughs> On this edition, we'll be taking a look at a forgotten movie to see if it's the cinematic equivalent of a refreshing breeze on a hot summer's day or a randomly named storm that everyone wishes would just go away. My name is James and I'm joined by Simon. How are you, my friend? Hey, dude, I'm good. How, how's it going? Where, where's Rob this week? Why, why, why is Rob not here? So a combination of COVID and half-term commitments have prevented Rob from joining us oh, yeah. on this uh, on this edition. After all that chat last last time about Nick Nolte's gravelly voice, uh, it actually happened to Rob. <laughs> yes. He said, he sent us a WhatsApp and he was feeling a bit under the weather and it, it was it was like Nick Nolte had sent us a, a message. <laughs> I thought he'd been on cameo. I was about to say sent us a message from the grave, but Nick Nolte's not there, is he? <laughs> not quite yet. Not quite yet. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully Rob will be back with us uh, next time, but uh, we're delighted to have on the pod this evening one of our Pod Dojo brothers, contributor to the Really 007 podcast, and the host of the Tapes podcast, Chris Goldie. Welcome to the pod, Chris. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's lovely to be here. Huzzah. Yes. Quite, quite incestuous, but you know. That's, <laughs> that's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're too scared to approach uh, people. Not, yeah. <laughs> Outsiders. Oh, that you've got to keep it all in house. Uh, so, mm. Chris, tell us a little bit about uh, the podcast that you contribute to on the network. Well, I'm a regular contributor to the Really 007 podcast, uh, which is uh, hosted by Tom Pickup. Uh, and other pickups are also available for a podcast. So <laughs> you've got, a few of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so you've got Harry and you've got Matt. I'm sure we can recruit another one. Um, and uh, obviously you've got John Kell as well, Lester Kell and Mr. Parker. So we've got this kind of, you know, the six of us who, again, you know, many a podcast started during uh, lockdown. Uh, but yeah, just, just Tom asked, do you want to fancy talking about Bond films? I was like, yes. What Bond film? <laughs> Octopussy. And yeah, it started off with us recording, uh, yeah, in Living Room. And then on part two of Octopussy, I did a very Alan Partridge thing uh, because we had guests. I actually recorded the second part in my car, parked outside of the house, connected with the Wi-Fi. <laughs> so that was, uh, that, was, that was a fun uh, start to things. But yeah, the, the Bond podcast has gone from strength to strength and we've had some absolutely amazing guests on there. So it's been a real privilege to be part of that and to be able to speak to Robert Davi, Sanchez, you know, all these these amazing characters and, uh, and actors. And then, you know, John Glenn, who directed all the 80s Bond films. It's just been, you know, it's been uh, amazing. So, yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, big love of Bond that has grown more since being on the podcast, to be honest with you. I kind of loved... Bond films, um, maybe fell out of love with them for a while, just got interested in other stuff. And then, yep. you know, once I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, you know, I'm there <laughs> I was, you know, chatting with all these, you know, actors and, and, and directors of, of, you know, Bond films and just absolutely spending like what felt, well, 10 hours, 12 hours talking about one film. And it's been, yes. it's been a blast and um, it is in depth and it's fun. And I, 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 yeah, you know, there's people who've never seen a Bond film that we know have listened to it who just love hearing us talk nonsense, <laughs> which is, Incredible. you know, what a high, what the highest compliment that some prefer to, <laughs> to give up that amount of time to talk about, to listen to us talk about a film that they've never seen. 
it's great. Like on the some of the guests you've had on has been so good. And I'm like, whenever I see like a you know the, a social post come up, and it's like, how the bloody hell did you? Get this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of goodwill. You know, lots yeah. of goodwill, and and Tom and John, you know, doing a great job with you know emailing agents or just emailing people, getting contact details, and just you know, just and once you've got a few great guests, it's good to to then, you know, people who obviously know that we're we're kind of we're we're a big deal, you know, in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in Bond podcasting. So that's that's really helped. I think once we had a few sort of you know actors on board it helps to other actors to then and we've had recommendations from people who've been on the podcast to other people who've been in bond films which is brilliant can't ask for more than that uh but yeah the 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 bond podcast has just been a fantastic experience from from beginning and there's there's more to come which is amazing, amazing. fantastic and the tapes as well yeah. yes that this is very about... much your brainchild isn't it yeah i, I think i, I was before COVID and lockdown, I was I was doing a, a fair amount of driving with work, and, and and so I was really listening to a lot of podcasts and tended to listen to a lot of film podcasts because obviously that's that's one of my passions and interests. And through I think it might have been Math or Tom Pickup from the, the Bond podcast, I'd recommended your podcast, this podcast, and so I started <laughs> listening and listening. And obviously, I thought this is great because these are the films that I found were underrated or misunderstood. Or there were films that I absolutely loved watching, you know, uh, late night Channel 4, ITV, where you just sort of stumble across it and you, you've missed the first 10 minutes, but you stick with it, you know. And there were yes. the, all those, like, Hard Target was one a film that I absolutely love. And we'll talk a lot about John Carpenter because, you know, like Big Trouble in Little China, absolutely adore that film. You know, and then and then just a few to sort of covering, you know, just these films that, I'd, I, I, that I felt was sort of almost, um, I, I almost like belonged to me. These were my films that I had such a positive experience with yeah. that people sort of dismissed as, oh, what a silly action film, what a silly science fiction film, what a silly horror film. That was never a success. It was off, you know, it was completely missed the mark. So off the back of that and listening to a few podcasts and then obviously then being on the Bond podcast, I kind of thought, oh, it'd be nice to sort of, you know, maybe do something that I was interested in. I thought, oh, well, I love ghost stories. I love unsettling TV and films. And that's where the tapes came from. So it's not a horror. It's not a podcast about horror films. It's about TV and film that is unsettling. So we've covered things from, you know, uh, BBC adaptations of ghost stories from like the 60s to Candyman to, you know, interviews with Rob Parker about his uh, his novel, The Black Stoke, and he talked about the influences that he, that, that film influences and uh, on his his novel. We also had Kieran O'Keefe, who's a, a kind of a, quite a high profile parapsychologist. It was brilliant speaking to him because he comes at this from an academic kind of perspective, but loves horror films, loves, you know, saw Ghostbusters and thought, I want to be a Ghostbuster when I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. old. <laughs> you know? and, As we all did. As yeah, we well, did. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, what, and he actually he is living the dream. He gets to visit haunted houses, haunted places, talk to people about their experiences. And so that was a great uh, experience speaking to him because he, he obviously comes with it from an academic perspective, but it is all kind of tied into his love of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Evil Dead, you know, and Ghostbusters and all those kind of things. So it's quite interesting how that impact, how popular culture and film has an impact on his career. Um, so that, that, that was great. And I just try and kind of cover stuff that is not necessarily, um, 
you know, overtly horror. You know, like Candyman is a horror film, but there's much more to it. It's about yeah. social housing. It's about race. You know, and I think for, for me, that's what I'm trying to sort of capture. And, we, and the last one that we did was on the sort of unsettling uh, episodes of, of classic Doctor Who. Um, and so, yeah, we've got, an, I'm planning another series. I think we might be doing a little mini series on John Carpenter's unloved films. So, oh, wow. Uh, might, I might be tapping you up for a appearance yeah, well, anytime, anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. There's loads of those. About ahead of the game, John Carpenter. Absolutely love it. Yes, um, yeah, so I remember one of your episodes you covered Ghost Watch, which was like oh, the thing that yes. scared the bejeebus out of me as a child. <laughs> Thinking yeah. it was this like sort of like jovial, like, oh hey kids, we're gonna have this little ghost hunt <laughs> recorded it. I had nightmares for days. I was yes. <laughs> absolutely it is, traumatized. Yeah. It is a st- and again, what I loved about that is I I watched it live and I remember my parents were out and I was trying to watch it. And my brother didn't want to watch it. He wanted to watch a John Cole Van Damme film that was on the other side. Should have gone with that. Should have <laughs> gone with that. <laughs> Less traumatic. Well, some might say. Um, and then obviously, then it just apps. And then the, the following day at school, that's all everyone talked about. Yeah. So genius, that guy. Just was. exactly, you know, that it was portrayed as a, as a real event. And I completely bought it. Along Same. with a lot of, you know, <laughs> children who are far too young to be watching this. Yeah. <laughs> that that whole phenomenon, it's just something that wouldn't be able to exist today. Everyone would be too savvy for it now, following Blair Witch and all the myriad of found footage things that we've mm-hmm. had over the years. Yes. I don't think you'd be able to ever convince, even children, I don't think you'd be able to convincingly Everyone's the audience is far too savvy these days, and yeah. I feel like we've lost some innocence. In one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I I just think like having Sarah Green and <laughs> Parkinson was involved. Parky, yeah. it? So it just added this level of like, this is genuine. Mm. <laughs> I really believe this. God damn you, Parkinson. Michael Parkinson would not lie to us. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this. That was the real number for like going live, you know, the, the same numbers. <laughs> like you knew it, you know, and yeah, it's, it's a brilliant piece. And I, and the great thing about actually doing it for the for the podcast is that actually going back to it as an adult, it absolutely holds up, stands yeah. up. It is a really well written ghost story mm. that is genuinely unsettling. Mm. You know, if you get past you know the technology and how it's dated, it's a really great story. So, uh, so on that note of great stories, have you? What have you guys been watching this week? Anything good that you'd like to recommend to the listeners? Well, for me, like other than watching that clip of Julia Fox going uncut jams about like <laughs> eight million times, <laughs> is I don't if you've seen, please see it. It's absolutely brilliant. I've seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> I, I was also getting like um, infuriated and shouting at my TV by. Um, watching all the true crime fraud documentaries on Netflix, most notably The Tinder Swindler, yeah. which I was proper pissed off at the end of it. <laughs> and then uh, and then The Puppet Master as well, like the British one, which is just insane what that what that was, where it was a guy who like convinced this these students that he was a um worked for the MI five and the IRA were against were were after them. It's like went on for like ten years. It was just insane. Absolutely nuts. Um I've also tried to take off a couple of Oscar-nominated um, pictures this week. So I went to watch Licorice Pizza in the cinema the other day. I I did like it, but I found a couple of elements were really uncomfortable. 
<laughs> to be honest. Like the, namely John Michael Higgins' like racist accent bit, which it, we were in the cinema and some people laughed and some people were like, What what is going on? <laughs> um and and then also the, the obviously like age gap thing of the film, you know. But on the whole it's a very charming film with you know, this amazing, absolutely delightful seventies aesthetic which you could you you just feel like you're there at the time and you're just in this weird pocket of time which kind of is much about nothing but then is also just really engaging and and you know it's it's a great world to be in bar the r- r- slight racism <laughs> uh, um and yeah that's really good uh, i i also watched the power of the dog on netflix the jane campion film which i'm I'm sure it has to pick up some awards for Netflix, um, in particular the technical categories. Ari Wegner's stunning work with the camera is just absolutely beautiful um, and awe-inspiring, really. And then Johnny Greenwood's score is brilliant as well, as they always are, um, even if it does kind of overshadow the film itself yeah. on occasion. But uh, it, it's very, very good. I did, like, admittedly find it hard to like stay completely engrossed during some of the slower parts of the film because it is a quite a slow film and quite a you know like a brooding plodding film but i think that's honestly my problem because i can't really watch films at home very well <laughs> i'm just so <laughs> dis- you know i'm just so easily distracted um so it's not that's more a thing on me and and my relationship with home streaming rather than the film itself because it is a great movie and it's it's got a really great you know, there's there's loads of like ambiguity with it, and um, you know, it's full of chock full of amazing performances as well. So, yeah, two good ones, if not, you know, not perfect films, but um, yeah, two two good films for sure. Yeah, that's I suppose that's the problem with Netflix, particularly around their prestige awards movies, is that they'll get a bit of a limited cinema run, but not really enough for enough people to see it on the big screen, isn't it? Because they obviously want everyone to, you know, sign up to Netflix, use their Netflix subscription to go and see the film. Yeah, I haven't got around to that one yet, but it's one that I I will definitely watch it before before the Oscars come around. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I would have appreciated it seeing it on the big screen given, um, given the fact it's a Western. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'd be like, Five star in, you know, yeah. proper lord in it. If it was, if I had seen it at the cinema, but yeah, I, I, that's my main problem with the streaming thing. I, I just don't, I just don't agree that they should be coming out at the same time. As much as Netflix are doing my giving these auteurs, you know, budgets to make these amazing films, you've still got to treat, you know, do the theatrical run as an exclusive before it gets to the platforms and. You know, give them a decent run rather than just like a week or something like that. And yeah, um, you know, and and part of that is is us the audience as well. You know, if they do do that, we need to go and see them as well. We can't just keep pointing the finger at the studios for not putting them in the cinemas because sometimes they do do that and no one goes to see them. They're just Absolutely, waiting for them yeah. to come on telly. So it's kind of one of those where we have to meet halfway. But I do hope now we're touch wood. The sort of pandemic thing is kind of ending a bit that people will start going to the cinemas a bit more and be a bit more comfortable going to watch these films, um, you know, which, which people have that opinion that you can just watch at home and it's fine. It's not. It's not the same. Just go and watch it's the, not the same. cinema. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Anything good you've seen in the last week or so? 
Not anything as highbrow as that. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a highbrow podcast, Andrew. Have you seen the film we're discussing later? (laughs) Obviously, you know, you know, you know, Jane Campion's. I think he's a brilliant kind of filmmaker. So it's definitely you know something that is on my radar to, to, to to watch. But I think that we've had household of, of illness for the past like two to three weeks once someone's been ill or you know, something you know so i've been kind of looking for comfort films yes. and for me it, when i think of comfort it's either a bond film or it's a john carpenter film so uh, i recently watched uh big trouble little china which i know you covered yes yes uh and then i was which got me thinking about a potential sort of mini season for the for the tapes podcast so we watched john carpenter's the fog last night which i hadn't seen for a very long time and i think it's a great film i think it's another one of his that is sort of unloved um and is you know is a great ghost story uh obviously it's not halloween but not many films are halloween i think that's you know a fantastic film so yeah so i think uh john carpenter is my go-to which ties in nicely with um with the film we're going to discuss tonight there's plenty of influences (laughs) we found that a lot recently john carpenter gets a lot of shout outs recently (laughs) there's so many he just shows how influential the guy is but the Fog is one I've not... He That's the one I've not seen. I think that's right, the only yeah. one I haven't seen of his... Um, but that's the Ghost Pirates, isn't it? Yes, it, which is, yeah. it, it is uh, just, a, a, like I say, just a, a great classic ghost story that um, is really well told and full of brilliant character actors. There's loads of like references to his kind of troupe of actors and producers you know there's characters named after like this character called nick castle who obviously nick castle played the shave in halloween yeah and there's a tommy lee wallace who, who was a production designer and, and the editor of the film and it's just i, I just and it's got yeah, yeah just tom atkins is just you know a great he's just for me he just seems to be this actor who appeared in all the B movie horror films that I watched as, as a kid. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, Janet Lee's in it as well. You know, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a great story. It's a great story. It's really well told. And I, it's not as flashy as his other films. It's not maybe not as engaging. It requires maybe a little bit more uh, sort of attention to it. But it's 90 minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And it's just for me, what I love about Carpenter's films is they're always really well crafted. You know, and solid and just quite tight films. There's no, there's very little kind of fat on yeah. his film. If the if there's one thing he know, I mean, he knows a lot of things, but his pacing is always just completely spot on, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you know all all the films you get. I think it's interesting to say that about the one where you have to like focus a bit more. It's not as flashy. I remember that from what is it, The Prince of Darkness, the one yes. where the that that's quite similar. That's like a yeah, similar vibe. That's that's experience. another one we might cover because that's another unloved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, yeah, not misunderstood. One I seen. Yeah, well, yeah. Exactly. I'm it's, really looking forward to seeing. Yeah. It's it's and again for me that that's you know obviously everyone loves like Halloween and you know even Salt and Precinct Thirteen and you know uh, Escape from New York and obviously the Thing you know everyone loves the Thing but he just did these these films that I thought are just are right for you know people to revisit like the prince of darkness is just a, another kind of simple tale that also covers lots of interesting kind of ideas it's this kind of where you know the connection between religion 
and science. And I think there's lots of really, and that was one that he'd written himself. So there's a lot of really interesting ideas in there. And I think, I just think, I, I love an underdog. I love, I love a film that doesn't often, you know, isn't a perfect film. You know, I love to, to sort of, those films that I think are really reaching, don't quite, <laughs> don't quite get to it. Yeah. And I find them much more interesting than, oh, that, well, obviously that's a masterpiece. I'd rather, actually, I find myself revisiting the films that just don't hit the mark because I feel like it's like the promise of what could have happened. And I feel like there's more in there, there's more happening, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's particularly pertinent with Carpenter because you felt like, particularly through the 70s and 80s, he was always up against it budget-wise, so he was. It almost made him more creative, in that sense, because of the constraints that he was working yeah. against. And uh, yeah, he. I mean, I, I've actually been. Uh, there was another podcast, the Blank Check podcast, where they've just gone through all of the mm-hmm. uh, Carpenter movies. So I've been watching a lot of the stuff from the nineties, which, admittedly, <laughs> is not his best stuff, but nowhere near as bad as some people would have no. you believe either. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's interesting how he just sort of like when he started actually getting to work with the major studios, it was like he'd he was like he was just tired by yeah. that point. He'd been pushing he a bill a boulder up a hill for so long. <laughs> and he just ran out of gas completely. But no, I I love Carpenter. He has a, one of the best streaks ever from the mm. end of the seventies to like the early nineties, really, where everything was pretty much a hit or not a hit commercially. Uh, so much, but you know, has come back and become something of a beloved classic mm-hmm. uh, in the intervening years. Yeah, for sure. What have you watched, James? Yeah, so uh, a bit like yourself, Simon, I've uh, taken in a couple of best picture noms in the last uh, week or two. So I've seen eight of the ten that are up for best picture. Oh this wow! Year. I never, I never get that far. No, I, I'm, I think I'm going to five, and then I just like that. Nah, <laughs> I think I'm going to be able to do it before the before the ceremony. I'm I'm going to really try the um, the Japanese film Drive My Car is not showing at any cinemas near me. You can rent it on the BFI player for a tenner. It's three hours long though. I don't know how I'm going to get on with that at, at home, but I, I'm going to try my best. And the power of the dog as well. I need to cross off the list. Uh, but yeah, in the last two weeks, I saw Nightmare Alley, which is Guillermo del Toro's latest film and i thought that was absolutely sublime and i've i don't always get on with del toro i find him a little bit hit and miss uh but i just thought this was absolutely brilliant it's a bleak but gorgeously mounted and technically impressive noir about manipulation exploitation and how most people are generally awful Uh, i just loved it i thought i think it's his best english language film uh, by some distance, I was delighted to because it wasn't really getting a lot of buzz when it first came out, and then it's crept into the best picture race. I don't think it will win, uh, but it's great that it's getting that recognition. And it's shot uh, by the cinematographer who shot Silent Hill, ah. Simon, which we've recently uh, commented uh, uh, did a uh, did a review of, which was one of the strong points of that film, wasn't it? Absolutely, was shot. So. He knows what he's doing. He's up for best cinematography as well. So. Uh, Potentially in with a shout there. I also saw uh, Belfast or Kenny B's Roma, as it should probably <laughs> be known. Uh, so I liked it. It's twee and slight, but undeniably crowd pleasing. Uh, it's sort of a semi autobiographical child's eye retelling of Kenneth Branagh's formative years during the Troubles in 1969 Belfast. 
I thought it was good. Uh, I went with my wife. She really enjoyed it as well. Though I was slightly perplexed by how attractive Branner clearly found his parents. <laughs> you want to see the way he, he, he frames his parents. It's just so weird. Like, I'd like... <laughs> I'd like cast like Jasper Carrot and <laughs> and, and Sean's mum from This Is England as as my parents. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got a very uh, very healthy relationship of uh, <laughs> with his perception of his parents. Is it a does it have musical numbers in it? Because the way I've seen it, like shown, it's always got a song in it. I'm like, is it a musical? I don't, no, I don't really... there's a lot of music in it, but no, there aren't any actual dance numbers or right, uh, right. or there is a karaoke scene which has been used in the trailer, so that's is possibly that what where is? that's come it's from. confusing me. Yeah, uh, but there, there's a lot of music in there because obviously it's evocative of the era. But yeah, it's it's a, just a, you can see why it's up for best picture. It's a real sort of classical kind of Oscar movie. Uh, you know, a well-known director going back and doing a black and white autobiographical piece is the sort of stuff that the Academy always lap up. And uh, finally, I just wanted to ask you guys a question. Did you know that Steven Soderbergh had a new movie out last week? I, I never know Steven Soderbergh has a new movie out. He always does it right, really <laughs> randomly. And then you're like, oh, oh right, there's just another film. And Is it good? Yeah, so it's called Kimmy, and he's made it for HBO Max in the States and uh, it's on uh, Sky Cinema over here. So I was just flicking through on Sunday night, you know, looking for something to to watch. Saw this come up, Zoe Kravitz, Steven Soderbergh, 85 minutes, I'm in. Right, so, <laughs> so this is a low-budget, visually interesting surveillance thriller written by David Kep of Spider-Man and Jurassic Park fame. Starring Zoe Kravitz in what is a career best performance as an agoraphobic tech worker who's struggling with post-lockdown anxiety, who stumbles across a conspiracy. And as I say, it's 89 minutes long, and I bloody loved it. And it just appeared on Sky. I think it's on HBO Max in the States, and it's just there. All he's doing now is just making sort of self-contained genre movies for adults he's sort of gone right the theatrical model doesn't work for the sort of movies that i want to make so i'm going to make these sort of high-end genre pictures directly for hbo max they'll go straight to the streamers if you want it have a hit and if you don't i'm not really bothered i'm going to just move on to the next <laughs> he thing that, he does that though because he? he had that one with claire foy which yeah, was the iphone one wasn't unsane, it? Then, yeah yeah and then what was that one ages ago with um gina what she called the Haywire. MMA fighter Haywire yeah, Haywire yeah. which was mint I love yeah. that one it was, like, <laughs> it was just her going around battering famous men <laughs> it was really funny um, but yeah so, no, I, I will check that out because yeah I didn't honestly didn't know that was a I, did, I, I knew Zoe Kravitz had a new film out but I didn't know it was Soderbergh so yeah um, just unreal I was just like oh oh brilliant there's a there's a 90 minutes Steven Soderbergh movie that I could just throw on my telly now. It's, uh, yeah, very much enjoyed it. Really good stuff. Amazing. Excellent. So, shall we get on to tonight's film? <laughs> yes. Oh, so, yeah. Simon, it was your pick, wasn't it? It was, it was. Um, do you want an intro? Would you like an intro? Oh, I'd love before one. Before we I'd have love our one. customary uh, toilet break. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it's 1998. Skater punk dominates the airwaves. Dodgy fringes are the hairstyle of the moment. 
and teenage stereotypes run rampant in the US school system, where a set of insanely attractive teachers suddenly become even more attractive, <laughs> thus sparking suspicion within a motley crew of students. Uh, this is Robert Rodriguez's alien invasion flick, The Faculty. No more pencils, no more books, no more teachers' dirty looks. The students at Harrington High have always suspected their teachers were from another planet. Is this going to be on the test? This is the test. This time, they're right. Now, these six students won't just question authority. They'll have to destroy it. Critics are calling it hip and scary. A thrilling ride from beginning to end. The faculty. Please report to the principal's office. So, Simon, the faculty, why have you picked this movie for us? Uh, well, the story with the faculty, it, it kind of came out at a time when I was like, really like properly getting into movies so like 12 13 14 you know generally watching them with my brother and we were interested in this one for like several reasons uh, first of all the trend at the time for teen centric horrors you know that kind of kicked off with scream a couple of years before and as i was sort of embarking on my teenage years at this time i just took took a particular interest in in those sorts of films even though it's like distinctly american um you can still kind of relate to it because i think as brits We've always looked in fondness across the pond when it comes to film and TV. Um, maybe not so much nowadays. In the 90s, for sure. In yeah. the 90s, yeah. yeah. Saved <laughs> by the Bell and all that. Fresh Roots <laughs> Bel Air. Um, but then also because Robert Rodriguez was involved and he'd just done From Dust Till Dawn was a couple of years before and Desperado, which was my introduction to him, which blew my mind. Like just the, <laughs> the guy with the mariachi band, with it, the, the guitarist with his, his guitar case, which was a gun. And it just like, oh, all the explosions, absolutely brilliant. Um, so yeah, they, they were like the main draws for me in terms of the faculty. And I just remember like really loving it. And we'd been threatening to do it for quite a while. And I figured we should finally give it its due uh, because... As I said last time, Halloween only happens once a year and there's always something else, so yes. we, we never quite catch it. So um, it's not strictly a horror film, I don't think, so yeah. we can probably get away with it. Plus, horror's not just for Halloween, it's all year round. So This is true, this is true, this is true. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What's your relationship with this film? Um, quite similar. I, I went to see it at the cinema off the back of absolutely loving Desperado. I was slightly obsessed with that film. Um and also because at the, at the time he'd had his, his book out, The um, Rebel Without a Crew, which yeah. was about him talking about how he made El Mariachi and then went on to do Desperado. And so I thought it was really refreshing, his honesty about what the type of films he wanted to make. And I'd never, particularly for an independent filmmaker, you always hear, it's, you know, particularly in America, it's like, actually he didn't want to make slacker or sex lies and videotapes. He wanted to make... I suppose, like a John Carpenter film he wanted to make, and that was where his love started, Escape from New York. So I kind of came at it from that, that, that he was a really interesting sort of filmmaker who, you know, do-it-yourself approach. And obviously this was before iPhones or, you know, equipment that you could easily get hold of, you know, having to buy kind of, you know, video cams and then editing it kind of, you know, 
it wasn't the same. You know, now we're really lucky. You can shoot things on films as Soderbergh as, as a show. So I came in, it was just like, I was a fan of his his work and I just thought he was, he was really interesting and I liked his kind of, you know, we had similar interests. So when this came out and the fact it was written by Kevin Williamson and obviously loved Scream, I thought that was, you know, obviously that was a game changer. It was an amazing, yeah. mm. you know, a, a film. Uh, so I was really keen to, to, to see this. And I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't quite as... Um, I have certain issues with the sort of the teen high school US, you know, US kind of <laughs> movies. As you say, do get into quite easily fall into sort of cliched stereotypes, which is part of the Absolutely. course with this. I think it yeah. works really well because he does try and, you know, uh, kind of, you know, mess with those. And obviously because the fact it is, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, so it's more kind of sci-fi than it is horror, but there are horror elements. So I was really surprised. And again, you know, a cast of all these character actors that immediately is like, oh, that's that bloke from this and that's that one yeah. who's in that, you know. It's like whack-a-mole, so, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so I was, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was quite fond of the, of the film and actually seeing it again, I was pleasantly surprised just how well it holds up. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, this was one that definitely cut through in our high school. We were sort of in the middle of the Williamsonization of mm. of the horror genre where everything was sort of snarky teens thrown into uh, into a genre situation and mostly penned by Kevin Williamson. So we've had Scream, Scream 2, Halloween H2O, which came out the same year as this, is a very Williamson-infused take on Michael Myers and then this one as well which Williamson was actually offered to direct to begin with and then he was making a different film with Katie Holmes called uh, Teaching Mrs. Tinkle I think it's called and so Rodriguez is actually a bit of a director for hire Mm -hmm. on this one I think he did it in order to get another one of his more personal projects greenlit because it's made by Dimension he was a Miramax filmmaker the Weinsteins drafted him in to to make this movie. Do we have to beep the Weinsteins? By the way, <laughs> we just don't we just don't dwell on these awful, <laughs> awful men. Honestly, <laughs> unfortunately, their names are on like some of the most popular yeah. movies ever. Yeah. But we'll just let's not dwell on them. <laughs> Skin crawl. Um, but yeah, this one really cut through because uh, it actually inspired something of a bullying craze at my high school. So at the start of this film, um, poor old Elijah Woods gets smashed into a into a flag post testicles first <laughs> and that happened to a poor kid in my year at school. Some lads picked him up oh, and rammed no. him in there, and he went home ill. <laughs> The rest of the day. Of course he did. It's in a horrendous way. So that's when you know that uh, a film's really hit a cultural (laughs) cultural nerve. Yeah, when the school bullies are getting involved. Yeah. And when you're banned from playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the playground, <laughs> yes, it breaks through the British, <laughs> the British playground. So, um, you know, outside of people, innocent people getting their testicles smashed to smithereens uh we've all got fairly <laughs> pleasant views of the of this film yeah i think so. but it must qualify for discussion so uh, let's have a quick look and see whether it is on the box office front so uh the faculty came out in 1998 and it was a wide release in the u.s 2365 screens in its opening weekend and it debuted at number five making 11 
million dollars, eleven and a half million dollars. Its eventual U.S. gross was forty point three million and a total of sixty three point two million dollars worldwide against a fifteen million dollar production budget. So it's definitely profitable. But given the trend of these movies at the time and how popular teen horror was at that moment, it'd probably be seen as something as a disappointment based on those figures. What do you think? Yeah, mate. So, because I'm trying to think like the other ones at the time. So, like you say, like the Halloween one and obviously the Screams and Urban Legend was another one as well and Final Destination and... It's like you have to compare them to to those films and how they did box office wise, yeah. To to sort of see it as a whether it was did well or not. So obviously, one of the beneficial things about making horror movies is generally they're able to keep the budgets quite low because a lot of the time, you know, all of the people who are in this film are all quite established now. But at the time, outside of Elijah Absolutely, Wood, yeah. Josh Hartnett was second it's his movie. second film. Jordana Brewster, it's her first. The rest of the cast is made up of, you know, sort of well-known character actors, but not people who are going to be pulling down massive salaries. Well, Salma Hayek is there just because of the Rodriguez mm. connection. It, absolutely, yeah. She's only in yeah. three scenes, isn't she, I think? Yeah. so. And uh, Rodriguez is quite famous for working quite economically and quickly as well. So, yeah, the budget was low enough, definitely profitable, but probably seen as something... They were probably hoping for it to be a mega hit in a this vein more, of something yeah. like Scream or Scream 2. Scream was also a dimension film as well. Yes, wasn't it? yeah, yeah. Because was this like sort of fast tracked? The script was fast tracked after the success of Scream. I think Scream Scream is either ninety five or ninety six, isn't it? Uh, and then Scream two a year later, and then this one as well. So this doesn't this script doesn't actually originate with Williamson. So in nineteen ninety, David Wechter and Bruce Kimmel wrote their first draft of the script and sent it out, but there were no buyers. It wasn't until after the success of Scream that Miramax bought the script and rushed it into production. And then the Weinsteins brought in Kevin Williamson to do rewrites. He sort of kept the basic story, but made it more hip and Williamson esh. Well, he succeeded at that. <laughs> yeah, it was war, so hip. <laughs> That was in the script, you know, when he was <laughs> describing Zeke. His hair is atrocious, but he gets away with it. Yeah, but he pulls <laughs> it off, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't technically qualify on the numbers side. How did it fare critically? Right, well, you know, admittedly, there's a wee bit of cheating with this one. Um, it didn't necessarily receive ne- like negative reviews or a particularly negative reaction, just... It was just resoundingly average, um, <laughs> right. which is probably a bit fair to be honest. <laughs> uh, you know, alas, it just just about qualifies because it, it, it is deemed you know rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a score of fifty five percent for both critics and the audience actually, which I was a bit surprised about. It's a lot better over on Metacritic with a sixty one from the professionals and a a pretty mighty eight point eight on the user reviews. That's a wow real big swing on the user reviews there as i say only got a handful of truly negative reviews james berardinelli from real reviews was particularly scathing giving it 1.5 stars and peter matthews of sight and sound said it consistently draws attention to its own ill-joined cracks and seams but it's sight and sound so you know <laughs> not the audience <laughs> yeah not the audience and, and their reviews are where they just tell you what the film is so you may as well not watch it um <laughs> But uh, the majority of outlets did 
hit it with sort of middle of the road reviews, such as Empire gave it three stars. And but there was like an odd, you know, there wasn't the the odd sort of higher end review. Kevin Thomas of the LA Times called it a smart, lively, and unpretentious exploitation picture that is consistently funny and clever. Um, a view that was also shared by Nigel Floyd of Time Out. Uh, there's no, there's no uh, sheriff review for oh. the fuck. I was really like, oh yes, there's got to be one for from the sheriff. Like, the faculty, but no. Sadly, he he didn't have a review in the San Francisco Chronicle. But his colleague Bob Graham viewed it uh, quite favorably actually, and he called it a sly and very savvy movie. Over on Letterboxd, uh, it's currently got a, like a more than respectable three point three. Yeah. With some uh, quite a lot of five star ratings from from recent viewings as well actually. Just for example, this one from someone called Natalie, who said, literally the best movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> Hunter Chumley, who asked, why is no one talking about this movie? This thing is fucking awesome. It came and out 25 fe- years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't know who these, these names can't be real. And Feston Wunk, who said, it was the epitome of cool teen shit. Um, so... I don't know. It's like really hard to gauge whether people like this movie or not because reviews were like kind of middling. Um, you know, it's, it's three point three is quite good for Letterboxd, but there were a lot of bad reviews as well. We don't really like to dwell on those. But yeah, very much a middle of the road film, I think, critically. So yeah, that's probably where it just about qualifies. Yeah, I think it's and it's also good just to shout up one of these sort of because they could get lost in the plethora of. 90s teen horror movies so it's good to shout on up one that maybe didn't make as much cultural impact as a scream yeah because i i was amazed to see that final destination was really panned on release but i remember that being absolutely brilliant i was like one of my <laughs> favorite movies as a teenager yeah so yeah they, this sort of maybe it was one of those sort of particular pockets of cinema which um maybe were sort of snarled at a little bit because it was kind of the pop, the pop thing to do, wasn't it? And people don't, adults don't like teenagers, do they? At all? No, well, I don't nowadays. Anyway. I fucking hate the teenagers now. When I was one of them, it was great. But now, fucking... listening to the Offspring with your badly cut hair, <laughs> I've still got badly cut hair now. But the Offspring have gone. I don't listen to them anymore, unless I'm playing Crazy Taxi. Then, uh... <laughs> And speaking of the offspring, that's pretty much the first thing we hear, isn't it? As we uh, <laughs> as we jump into nineties America, <laughs> that's how you know you're in the nineties. Do you a f- fan of the offspring, Chris? Uh, do you like um, the offspring? <laughs> uh, no, 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 not really. There was there was uh, the music is quite interesting, and some of the covers in this film are quite interesting. Um, yes, but the offspring. No, no. That's the sound. I mean, I, I, my always weird thing with the Offspring was they always looked about like they were forty odd. <laughs> yes, yeah. playing music for teenagers. Like, yeah. what are you doing, guy? You know, what, please, this is gone. <laughs> like, they, they were, they were spending their like seventies and eighties going. Skater punk's gonna take off, guys. Definitely gonna take <laughs> off. And then the nineties finally hit. It's like, well, we're like forty five now. <laughs> it's all right. Roll with it, guys. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> Still touring, by the way. A friend oh. of mine went to see them last year at the. Uh, I think they might have been. They were either playing the Apollo or the Arena. I mean, huge. What? 
Yeah, huge venue. Jesus. The Offspring, they've not been relevant since 1999. <laughs> Rewatching this, um, I absolutely loved it. And it's probably because I was like a person of this time. But it's just brilliant how of the time it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've got Offspring kicking it off, and it's all this, like, really stereotypical teenage, <laughs> like, there's the nerds and the jocks mm-hmm. and all this. And then Usher's in it, who's about 12. Uh, Usher made the poster, amazingly. Did he? Well, yes. He's yeah, really not in poster. It's like, no. Yeah, I know, it's because he's Usher, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, we know about uh, Rob's enjoyment of Usher and the fact that he's seen him live. You big Usher fan, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to feel my age. We won't do this all the way through. It's just, <laughs> just to get a gauge. <laughs> uh, I can't say I can't say I am. Um, but yeah, the the it was quite interesting. The, the cast is quite eclectic. The music yep. is very eclectic, <laughs> as well as some interesting cover versions. And I was sort of like nearly fell off my chair when it ended with an Oasis song. I was like, what <laughs> Not the one I would have picked. Either. No, no, no. Like, it was, it was like a B-side. <laughs> I, 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 I share that, Chris. I, I lost my shit when I because I obviously did that did not register in my brain when I originally yeah. watched it that it was an Oasis. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Of all the time, you were just like ending, ending like a really serious movie with somebody was telling. <laughs> just insane. I just, why would you pick that? I mean, they couldn't have been that expensive to license. Yeah. Like, one of the album tracks of Be Here yeah. Now. Like, <laughs> Do you think mate, Oasis were trying to break America at the time? And it was like, please put. This in your movie is, oh, we'll stick it over the credits. Fucking hell. It's not even a single. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, but we also had, um, yeah, like, he was quite at the forefront of, of the, I guess he's the MacGuffin, isn't he? Like, Robert Patrick. Yeah. He's the second, second appearance for him um, after Fire in the Sky. Aliens again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He loves the aliens. <laughs> he's, a, he's a hard-ass coach, isn't he? And again, we have <laughs> Very <this> angry. <laughs> yeah, he's really angry. He's like, it's only practice, mate. Chill out. <laughs> but no, no. As soon as I saw him, and I was like, oh, yes. I, I like 90s Robert Patrick. He's uh, he's uh, he's looking very well. He's been incredibly petulant, cussing out these... <laughs> <laughs> these 90s kids and their attitudes. He's not taking any <laughs> any guff from them. Uh, and yeah, it's really effective, isn't it? Because it sort of sets up that he's he's going to be the big bad. And that's sort of what we're led to believe as we mm. as we make our way yeah. through. I think it's a really strong kind of pre-credit you know, type yeah. of sequence. I think it sets it up really nicely. And it's it's also longer than I was expecting. I was expecting it was, yeah. Now we're going to get the, the titles. But the fact that you got like Robert Patrick is just like, and all the, the everyone who plays a teacher is really cross and just really pissy with everyone. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just like really aggressive and angry, and you know, not if someone's got a drinking problem, someone's like just got anger issues. But yeah, seeing Robert Patrick, I just thought, oh, just why wasn't he a bigger star? He's, he's really good in this. A, a genuine highlight. He goes from. You know, it's sort of typical, really aggressive kind of coach. And then obviously when he sort of changes, he kind of has this smarmy, 
smug vibe about him. And I just yeah, think he plays scarier, it so though. well. Yeah, yeah exactly. He's scary. <laughs> I'd rather him shout at me and throw like <laughs> bottles at my head. <laughs> but you're right. He, you know, he, he is good. Like, he should have been more, you know. Yeah. Yeah, why wasn't he in more stuff instead of Hallmark uh, alien abduction movies like Fire in the Sky? Hey, he was the lead of that movie and he was the best <laughs> he was, in it. Yeah, and, you know, he, he's done plenty of good work as well, hasn't he? Was, he, had a, he had a recurring role in The Sopranos, obviously took over for um, David Duchovny when he left The X-Files for, I think, two seasons as well towards the back end of its run. Mm. Yeah, and, and cropped up at Copland as well. He's in that. And, oh, he is, is in Copland movie. Well. He's got a lovely tash in that. <laughs> Yeah, so but no, it's always a treat to see him, and he's particularly mm. enjoyable in this movie. Yeah, because there's a, there's a lot of um, scorn towards him from all the other teachers, isn't it? Because all the budget is going to mm. the football team. Yeah, um, which is it's just insane. Like, that's something that we just do not get in this country, is it? Where <laughs> like all this onus is put on sports yeah. and in particular football. Yeah, all the money and everything just goes on. Those, I mean, we still had the same thing where the people on the football team were like the the most popular kids and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, the the money thing and big stadiums full of people watching teenagers play sports <laughs> yeah. like what? Uh, over here, it's like you get like a couple of dads, maybe yeah, uh, and a dog <laughs> and a dog. And just like no one, get, you know, you, the balls are going into the rivers down. The, you know, no one really gives a toss. No, to be honest. It would be my. Uh, do you want to go and watch the high school football team on Friday night? No, no. <laughs> the standard will be appalling, and be, you'll be surrounded by loads of snot-nosed teenagers listening to the Offspring and B-sides from Oasis. Where's Where's it set? This movie, Ohio, I believe. I don't, where about? I th- I'm sure that's yeah, that's Middle America. Is it? Yeah, I I think so. My American. Geography is not amazing, really, but yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle. But yeah, even it's just generic American town who loves the football. Yeah, um, but no, it goes a bit. So yeah, you, you sort of it's all sort of set out that um, Robert Patrick is the sort of big bad of it, even though there's this like really weird sort of where he's approached by this mysterious shadowy figure. Yeah, but it's still kind of set up that he is the sort of you know the the court, the center of this. You you kind of don't even know it's aliens at this point. It's no, just all no. a bit like you know we still don't really know what it is. It kind of suggests it's a bit of a slasher movie when he sees the principal. Yeah, yeah. He stabs her hand with a pencil, which is really mm. gross. <laughs> it's a. <laughs> this is also where it sort of sets out the, a, a tone for the movie throughout. There's just it's the sexual tension throughout <laughs> every character is just cranked up to eleven. <laughs> The teachers in this school are so massively inappropriate at all times. <laughs> Even before they're taken over by alien beings, there uh, there's alcoholics. There's people coming in with what seems like COVID. What sort of some Everyone's cracking onto everyone in the teachers' lounge. Harry Knowles is there for some yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, why? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I saw something on there was a, on Letterbox. It said uh, this movie. The unfortunate thing about this movie is the trifecta of sex offenders. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the Weinstein's. There's someone else, but I can't remember who it was. Yeah, he was always making cameos in movies at this point, wasn't he? <sighs> but no, I, I. And then we get like an intro to all the uh, all the sort of the, the the major plays in terms of the students, and it's just this weird like. 90s like title cards for each of the characters isn't it it's just like so weird 
it reminded me of, um, and it probably isn't an influence, but it reminded me of the, the, the opening of The Wild Bunch, you know, the Sam Peckinpah film, the <laughs> Western, because that has, it introduces these characters, has a little freeze frame. It just obviously doesn't have the character name, not like Zeke, yeah. <laughs> Stan, you know, it didn't have that, but it had that kind of introducing these characters in one place. And it had a freeze frame on each major character. And it just made yeah. me think of that. And, I, I, well, maybe it wasn't deliberate, but it did get me thinking. Um, maybe Rodriguez is a, yeah, obviously did Westerns, sort of did his sort of Mexican Westerns, didn't he? So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I think a lot of this film is just a big love letter to a lot of other Everything films. Blended. It's one of the most yeah. derivative films ever made, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll have a bit of that and a bit of this. <laughs> You're down to the casting, isn't it? <laughs> it's just I just love all that free, the free frame intro thing, and and you know you get Zeke, who's this like enterprising bad boy, you know dealing drugs and selling fake IDs, <laughs> whose mum cuts his hair by the looks of the mum cuts his hair. He, he has two haircuts. He has, <laughs> yes. His hair's got a bowl. He's got a basin haircut, and the rest of it underneath is like bedhead. So he's got like <laughs> two bizarre. But he somehow makes it through the film. He pulls it off. It's incredible. I don't know yeah, how he pulls yeah. it off. Because he, he had a similar haircut in Halloween as well, didn't he? So yeah. it was probably Halloween H2O. So it's probably just like, the, he rocks up in the dress. Oh, I felt, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Can we get hair and makeup on this? And he's like, no, no, he's the, he's the hot new thing. We have to, this is what the kids want. Yeah. A horrendous uh, fringe <laughs> he must have made those two movies back to back for them to both come out in 1998. So was this the second one? This one, uh, this is down his second, so it it must have come out afterwards. After Halloween, yeah. Because remember, we did Halloween H2O on the pod actually, and for some reason they randomly released it in August instead of <laughs> Halloween. <time. laughs> Expecting a long run because <laughs> they put, because that was a Dimension movie as well. Because they put, they had this coming out in around October, I bet. Right. Because didn't Kevin Wilson rewrite H2O? Was he credited or is he not? I think he did. A st- I think he did. He might be involved in producing, right. and I think he maybe took a pass on it, but I don't right, think okay. he's credited he's as a writer on that. But it's clear his fingerprints are all over yeah. that. Yeah, all over it's that got movie. a vibe, hasn't it? And mm-hmm. I, and I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I've totally forgot his fucking name. What's he called? Bad Hair Boy. Hartnett. <laughs> Josh Hartnett. <laughs> And uh, jo- Josh Hartner was obviously like the the hot stuff, you know, the Timothy Chalamet of the time, yeah. <laughs> uh, to just you know stick him in whatever he wants to wear, whatever his hair is, just stick him right. You know he is this sort of bad boy. And then you've got um, like the nerds in there. Elijah Wood is like the nerd, and then you've got the the jock and the jock's girlfriend. And it it kind of leans into those nineties high school tropes yeah. rather than sort of taking it seriously. It's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing, I think. I mean, I think that's what they're kind of getting at, that it is sort of fully intentional, that it is really generic of all <laughs> these characters. But yeah, as it progresses, they sort of subvert those tropes, don't they? So, like, Elijah Absolutely. Wood goes from being the nerdy wimp to sort of the hero, and it turns out that Zeke isn't just a bad boy, but one of the world's leading epidemiologists <laughs> from his garage. Uh, <laughs> And that Stan the Jock has actually got interested in taking his academics more seriously and whatnot. So they sort of take them on these various arcs that go. So that's why I think that's why they lean into totally, stereotypes yeah. so much yeah. in the in the opening act. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, 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 maybe it was something that was missed at the time, and it's just so you kind of see it 
after so many years and and you like you you see it more obvious that that's what they're obviously trying to do and it, you know it's really self-aware with what it's doing and i think it's great and i think that the 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 casting sort of makes it even better as well and it really makes it work because you've got these you know these actors who are who are I say in on the joke. It's not a joke per se, but um, you know they they know exactly what's going on, and that's and you know they lean into it as much as Rodriguez does, and as much as you know the writing was in in the scripts and stuff. And I just think all that really works. I think that's kind of what holds this film together, and yeah. why it makes this film so engaging is that cast and mm-hmm. and what they're saying. And I just, I think Elijah Wood is one of the most underrated actors. <laughs> He's a really likable dude. Yeah. And he was doing it since he was like 10 years old or something. So this was probably one of his first sort of adult, even though he's playing a teenager, becoming that adult actor. Yeah, making that transition, yeah. To make that transition, even though he still looks about 12 now. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's great. And I just think that across the board, the cast is great. Like They've all got their jobs and they're all doing it really well. Um, and it just really sells it all, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that the the, the cast are in on it. They they know what it is, and they, they're able to perform in the parameter. You know, if you want to be, you know, maybe, maybe not kind of self aware, but there is a bit of that where it's kind of like you know, oh, I I'm the jock, so I have to be that you know, the arsehole kind of you know, <laughs> kind of jock. I'm going to be cross, so I have to be super cross. I've got to be dour, but then I become sexy, so I'll be super. Se- you know, there, there, it's yeah, it's yeah. full of extremes, and I feel that the cast is definitely in on that. And there isn't there isn't a good performance in the no. film, I think, and I think really that it isn't. does it does go far on the cast, and you know just the direction. I think like the the, the plot itself isn't particularly memorable or or great, but it's everything else that actually makes it enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. Because because I mean story wise, it is quite a you know it's a well worn path, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's like. Invasion of the Body Snatchers mixed with the Thing, mm-hmm. then mixed with the Breakfast Club. Uh, you know, bit of Independence Day. Bit of Independence Day. <laughs> you know, you get these. It, it becomes quite clear that you know it's aliens taking over the staff first and foremost of the of the school, and then all these all these sort of kids that, that you know the main players of the kids kind of realize that, but no one believes them. No less uh, Shooter McGavin, who is uh, yeah. <laughs> Elijah Wood's dad. I had totally forgotten that <laughs> yeah, Christopher McDonald was in this movie, and I <laughs> howled with delight when he emerged <laughs> later on. So what sort of happens throughout the first act is they start to notice that the teachers are acting strange. Elijah Wood discovers sort of a slug-type thing out on the football field. He takes it in to his science teacher, who is... The Daily Show's John Stewart. <laughs> oh, randomly. John, so <laughs> random, yeah. right? John Stewart, isn't it? Uh, and it turns out it's like this amphibious thing that with teeth that uh, <laughs> that enjoys water and is revived by water. Uh, because there's a whole motif throughout that the, the teachers who have been overtaken are just hydrating non-stop. And lots of strange things are going on. Jordana Brewster and Elijah Wood, they break into the faculty lounge because she's like a cutthroat tabloid school journalist (laughs) (laughs) who's after a big story for the school paper. And it's at that point that they discover a body in the the storage cupboard and witness uh, Salma Hayek being, being, what do they call it in the film? Uh, they, They have a term for it. Anyway, they they turn her into an alien person by yeah. Robert 
<laughs> Robert Patrick spits one of these yeah. things into her ear. It's quite, quite, Charming. it's enjoyable gore, I would say. Yeah. It's quite, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like the inverse of signs, isn't it? Where the, these alien things need water to survive. It makes signs seem even more ridiculous. Like <laughs> we've come to a planet where we're all made of water like, and the planet, the planet is, is mostly <laughs> water. <laughs> Didn't Did do the research. <laughs> <that> <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Check on TripAdvisor next time. <laughs> no. But the, uh, like, mentioning about like the, the, the sort of the, the, the cast and that kind of trying to sort of subvert, you know, like you say about the jockey wants to, you know, uh, spend more time with his studies and things. And then you've got... Um, Oh, she got uh, Clea Duval, who sort of yeah at the beginning is seen as this you know greasy haired lesbian, when in fact she's not a lesbian. She just sort of uses that to hide behind, you know. And I thought that was quite an interesting portrayal. And she does transform into something else in the same way that Elijah Wood goes from being the sort of drippy, bullied one to actually by the end transforming into the sort of the hero more than probably Josh Hartnett's character does you know obviously he helped he actually gets the he crush kills the queen and I think that's quite an interesting kind of take on those kind of you know like I said the, the, the high school stereotypes of you know the, the the jock and the loser and the bully one they all tra- have that transformation which I thought was when I was watching it again I thought obviously ties into the fact that you get you know Famke Janssen goes from that, um, rather unbelievably <laughs> being dowdy <laughs> to being super sexy, you know, and being and then like also she's being all that. <laughs> <laughs> with her, you know, another severe haircut as well. But uh, but it, you know, she absolutely, you know, is really convincing in both performances. I thought, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a, you know, no, it's great. I mean, Fabka Yanton once again confusing every adolescent boy. <laughs> <laughs> First with Golden Eye and now following up with this years later, like I'm not sure what's going on here at all. But, but yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. I mean, this this cast of the teachers is absolutely stacked. Like everybody is recognisable. Mm. Like the principal is Fraser's wife from the same, <laughs> yeah, and it's just that's almost the most enjoyable part of the movie is the is the character actors coming in, they're doing a few days or whatever, and all just like, they know what sort of movie they're in, they're committing to the material, having a lot of fun with it. And then my favourite sequence of the movie, really, is when they go back in the following day after Elijah Wood tries to raise the alarm and say, oh, there's a dead body in the closet, and then the police don't believe him, and then they get taken over. He gets all of his privileges taken away. They go back to school the following day. And this, the teachers are slowly, oh, well, not even slowly, they're ramping up their plans to uh, take over the town and calling students to the principal's office and, and whatnot. And, yeah, it's all just really enjoyable. And then they don't know who is changed and who isn't. And uh, as it turns out, it's it's the central, is it six, five or six of the, uh, of the teens who are the only ones who don't get in, infected in that, uh, in the opening openings of the invasion, yeah, and and it all goes a bit meta at this point as well because they all start mentioning like X Files and you know they they mention invasion of the Bozzy Snatchers, you know they're even talking about that because that's what they sort of recognise and I guess if that's what happened in real life, it would be the kids who notice it all, the ones mm-hmm. who are all in on their sort of like pop culture references to sort of get it, yeah. Yeah, it, it, and and this is sort of where we get that switch for all these characters as well. Like we do realize that Zeke is a bit of a science genius. <laughs> <laughs> 
when he goes into the um... the, the karaoke set, the, like the drugs, which is basically he's he's like crushing Pro Plus. He's always giving you Pro Plus, you know. Like nowadays, if you did a remake, would it be like Ground Pro Plus and like a Red Bull Chaser, you know, to kind yeah. of get these kids high? <laughs> I was like. Oh right, and he's got all that kind of chemistry set as well, which I thought was brilliant. But basically, it is just crushed pro plus that he's actually selling. He's yeah, of, chemistry set is for show, which I quite like. I love all his like his little like side hustles he's got going on, where he's doing <laughs> like VHS tapes of of porn that doesn't exist. Deep fakes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well well ahead of the game, yeah. But uh, that that kind of that that's kind of the side hustle I had at school, where uh, there was a. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it actually. There was oh no, there was a video video going around of um, <laughs> of a of a of a blue movie, and um, me me and my brother had the means to record VHSs to other VHSs, so it was always like someone got wind of it. They're like, "Could you make us a copy of uh, this this video?" <laughs> So, all right, like, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And you'd have to go home, and and it recorded in real time. So you had to have it on the telly, and it was a proper like secret operation where we'd put it on, and it was like, right, for the next two hours, we can't, mum can't come in because she'd see that there's a porn on the telly, like a full, full on porn on the telly. And yeah, we just used to like record these porn movies and then take them back into school. Because we, we, we had a computer and a printer at the time, and we'd print the covers off and everything. We had oh this full-scale VHS. Selling these videos. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was like, well, we, 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 we sort of spread the genre. We, so we had the for those movies, those certain movies. Dear me, bootleg Lewis. That was our side hustle. Oh dear, the Zeke of the uh, of Greater <laughs> Manchester area. I did. I didn't have Scat though. I didn't sell Scat. <laughs> no, which is a terrible name for a drug <laughs> as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely But yeah, so it's it's these um, these these main students now are on their own, aren't they? Because they take over the school quite rapidly, and it starts to spread out over the town now. Because there's a really good bit where they're in class and they drop all the studies in the like right what we want you to do is write down your entire family tree <laughs> yeah uh, just so they can sort of get to the town as quick as possible um but yeah it's just that you know they they figure out this scat is the this concoction of pro plus and you know it's a diuretic isn't it so it dries them out so they they are slugs basically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just put some put a ring of salt around your house and you'll be all right and and that's that's what they that's um what they sort of figure out is the killer and you know we are really glossing over the plot but it is as simple as that it's mm. aliens come in take over everyone and then this this little merry band of students figure it out and you know uh, it, it, it's a bit of a a sort of reach when they sort of come to the we need to find the queen and if we kill the queen it's going to mm-hmm. kill everyone there's literally no evidence for this at all like there's just basically <laughs> yeah. one of them says it and goes yeah that sounds right we'll just go with that <laughs> that'll be fine cuz cuz they just say like it's a theory maybe it'll work that's kind of the <laughs> excuse isn't it it's like this is ridiculous but if it works but yeah I don't know it's not my what fault do you know we're bang on the money <laughs> <laughs> but like throughout the film you you kind of don't know who you know the main alien they need to kill to sort of bring everyone back to normal although i'm pretty sure the principal who they shoot in the head won't come back to life uh, i think she's dead <laughs> i don't know what's happening with her is she immortal because she gets stabbed to death with scissors outside the school <laughs> at the, at the yeah. beginning <laughs> i think she's shot in the head as well 
uh, and then has that scat drum dumped all over her. Horrendous things happen to that poor woman <laughs> in this movie. But I, everybody comes back. Yeah. I, I, safe to say I think she's fully dead. <laughs> yeah, well, because you're sort of led to believe that it is Robert Patrick, but it's actually one of the students, isn't it? The the ex, the, the sort of new, mm. the new girl in town. Mary Beth. Um, Mary Beth. When you're watching it back, and it's one of those films, isn't it, where you get a lot out of it on a rewatch because you're sort of looking out for the clues where it is her. And, and you know, I, you just said there, James, where she gets all the, 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 the principal gets all the, the scat thrown on her. Yeah. And it's Mary Beth who does it. And she makes sure that she gets rid of all of it. Yeah. Because um, there's a bit where um, the dude from that 70s show, again, who's in the sex pest <laughs> that they're, they're all asking for like all of Zeke's, supply of those drugs because they know that that's the, their weakness so they have to like get rid of it all so there's all on a rewatch it's great it's one of those films where you get all you get more out of it like the second or third time you watch it because you're seeing all these like clues play out and it's consistent in it they they cover their tracks with all that there's so many points in this film where you're, you're looking at her and go oh yeah she is being a bit weird isn't she she, you know, she only refers to herself as a full name <laughs> um, they're doing the, the, the sort of test which is the big homage to the thing, isn't it, where they're doing the, the equivalent of the burning blood test. And yeah, it all boils has this final battle with Mary Beth at the end between who's left. Is is it Zeke and Casey who are left, who are the only ones who aren't aren't possessed by the slug alien things? Yeah, so um yeah, and the 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 sort of rug pull or the reveal doesn't it didn't necessarily work for me it felt like they were just sort of trying to engineer a third act twist really in terms of oh well you know we've got to have a twist in here this is you know this is what we've got to do yeah i wasn't wholly convinced by that because i was just like well why didn't she just change them all while, while she had the chance because <laughs> she, she kisses play possum. Josh yeah. Harner, doesn't she She's yeah have a little just, just get him have, there that's one been, down yeah. done yeah. <laughs> well she she does like a rick and morty sort of like oh well quite like this maybe i can have relations with this human. yeah and we... <laughs> yeah maybe it's more just an experiment for her. i just didn't i mean i think the logic sort of goes out the window after the after the basically the thing uh rip off scene it's like it, it just sort of just starts barreling towards the third it act does. and it, it goes does. full crazy then in terms of you know let's start up in the um the body count, so to speak, and throwing all as many special effects as we can at things, and just trying to. If we go fast enough, then nobody's going to notice that nothing is making any <laughs> sense at all. And it does work, to be fair. It's only because I've seen this a number of times now that you start mm. sort of seeing where how it's all stitched together. Really, yeah. I mean, how? Do, what did you think of the reveal when it when it comes in the in the third act? Um, I think I think like you, I think you when you sort of on repeat view, you think ah oh, that ties into this and the fact that she's yeah. first, you know that she appears on campus, you know as this new student the day after you know Robert yeah. Patrick sort of t- you know kind of infested, and then um, you know she's she has a sort of like oddness to her that obviously yeah. you associate with because she's. You know, she has a southern accent, so she's just yeah, you, yeah. Know, a, you know, you know, a yokel who's moved into you know a slightly bigger town kind of thing. But I, I quite like the, the the end. I like I quite like that it, it like I say it leans into the B movie, 
you know, yeah, it goes full creature tropes. feature. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you get the big creature you get, and there's some really nice stuff. Like there's the bit where she's she's you know in the swimming pool that that sort of remind me of it follows you know it's quite interesting but there's a shot where she's she's walking through the locker room she's naked but it's lit so as if you can see she's got her tentacles yeah i thought yeah, it was quite it's really a striking nice. yeah, yeah. you know uh, a scene and obviously she does get to do the whole kind of explaining the plot and walking very slowly <laughs> as she chases the but again it is for, for you know for, for what it is it does well and these are kind of like say those kind of sci-fi kind of well i suppose like classic b-movie sci-fi you know uh tropes that you you'd kind of accept and I, I like that rodriguez is is leaning into that but also you know with you know williams's script trying to subvert it and trying to make it a little bit interesting it's not wholly successful but at least yeah. they're trying to do something rather than just this, a standard oh aliens invader high school you know, so there's, there's there's plenty to like in this film, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm not saying that it's not enjoyable. It's just it's just so random. It's straining <laughs> under it. <laughs> and it, it. To be fair, like when when you go on like a, a letterboxd or a, a, you know you look at the reviews of it, the, the, this is the main people's mm. issue with it is like this final act and and where it goes in terms of the, as you say, James, the rug pull. But then I also agree with you, Chris. I I think that purposefully going the B movie yeah. route and it's really sort of doing this creature feature thing. But then tr- it it's trying desperately throughout the whole thing to be as horror as it can be. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it's it's massively successful doing that. Um, it might. It, I think it was more successful at the time. Yeah. I think maybe over time it, it's kind of sort of softened and diluted a little bit because of everything what's come you know, ever since these films came out. Because I don't think particularly like Scream's very scary anymore if you like rewatch Scream. No. It's yeah. been sort of surpassed quite exponentially in terms of, you know, scary, really genuinely scary movies. So I think it's one of those weird films where some things work a lot better over time, but then some things don't mm-hmm. work well over the time. It's it's kind of a mix of both, I think. And that's why this is a a bit of a curio in terms of watching it, what's this, 22 years later or mm. whatever it is? I think that, that, that there's, like you say, that, that Rodriguez is obviously, you know, he's he's trying to make a sort of a modern the thing. And yep. obviously he, he have these scenes. and But he doesn't quite, there's a few tonal shifts that he doesn't quite have hold of. Particularly, is it, is it uh, Famke Jensen gets a head cut off? And obviously, yes. it gets like tentacles. It's not, obviously that's a reference to the thing, but it it just it, it, tonally it's become a bit too silly, and I felt like he's lost mm. control of it, and it just goes a little bit too far of having this head that's got tentacles move across, and then obviously the body's trying to pit, find the head. It's, you know, obviously that's a classic kind of you know, it's like the Adams family. It's like yeah, yeah. trying to find <laughs> you, you, you know, and put it put your head back on. But again, I can see what he's trying to do with that, and. Um, you know, uh, it's it's just those little moments where it just he, he kind of loses control of the, the, the tone that um, is, which is a shame. Yeah, it sort of loses the paranoid thriller elements. Yes, that yeah, it was really the well, first two it? thirds, yeah. and then it just goes into full like schlock mode for the, for the final <laughs> third. Yeah, I I I never know. I didn't actually know. I think you're spot on there, Chris. Actually, I think never re- could never quite put my finger on what it was. 
because it's not a perfect movie. I could never quite put my finger on what it was, but I think you, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there. Like it is, it's sort of committed twenty minutes before to mm. this sort of tone that when it gets to this these points in the final act, it's like, oh shit, we've kind of screwed ourselves <laughs> over now because <laughs> it's a bit of a laugh rather than you know a terrifying, you know, like the thing is. But yeah, it's, it, you know, the the convenient, everything gets back to normal, and uh, I do like the practical <laughs> effects though at the end. Yes, to be honest. they were good. I think Still hold the up. monsters really good, yeah, mm. and the yeah. Um, the prosthetics. I think it's Greg Nicotero who mm. does The Walking Dead, and obviously worked with Rodriguez, I think, on From Dust Till Dawn. Mm. Uh, so you know, he's one of the best makeup and special effects guys in the business, and yeah, yeah. that that monster is very good because it's all practical as well, isn't it? When he, mm. when Elijah Wood traps it behind the bleach. And even the CG, some of it's a little bit shonky, but yeah. some of it works pretty well. To be fair, like because mm-hmm. he he puts the scat into the uh, alien's eye and it spits all these slugs into oh, yeah. his face, which is all it CG, yeah. but it's all pretty effective actually. It does look terms, good. Yeah, it's at that time where CG is just starting to come in a bit more in terms of these lower yeah. budget movies. I say I don't know, fifty million is not cheap, but it's still these like lower lower budget films and it's kind of like creeping its way in and instead of using it all out they just use it sparingly and it's just that sweet that you know it's a really good spot in the sort of history of cinema i guess where it's that mix between the two and they haven't quite committed to the cgi thing yet Mm. so i mean i i certainly think it's dated pretty well to be honest and yeah I think for the most part, like the little sort of subtle bits, they're good. They, you know, they obviously they're of the time, but they still kind of get away with it. Mm. Absolutely. So that brings us to the end of the movie. Everybody's coupled up. Everyone's back to normal. We don't see the principal, but given that Famke Janssen... She's dead. She is absolutely <laughs> brown bread. She is. <laughs> I'm inclined to go along with that, but given that Famke Janssen got decapitated in the final third... Oh, she, oh yeah, of she, course. She, yeah, she's, she's alive back. at the end. So. <laughs> oh, my God. It's quite slightly The principal's jarring. absolutely fine. <laughs> and she only like got it. shot in the head. <laughs> It's a bit like when you watch Predator and you get the, the cast at the end. The music, <laughs> yeah. it's like everyone's turning to the camera with a color. smile. What happened? But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, the, 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 like you say, it does. And I, I kind of respect it for the fact it, it you know, it, it wraps things up very quickly. And you yeah. just don't see that as much. Like the amount of films that I've been watching recently from like the 80s and 90s were bad guys dead. Credits roll. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. yeah. With this again, As dead, it be. explain it. Everyone's, <laughs> you know, everyone's suddenly together. You know, the, the people who were slightly attracted to each other, couples now, fine, done. Yep. Credits. Josh Hartnett's Oasis. on the football team because they didn't know what to do with him, basically. He showed no yeah. athletic prowess throughout this whole thing, but now he's hanging out with Usher yeah. on the football team. <laughs> I assume that Usher was just shooting the poppy collar video. <laughs> and he ended up in, a, in the background of some, I don't know why he's in this movie at all. He's in like three scenes. I would hazard a guess that a lot of his scenes got cut because he's really rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So, uh, so guys, gentlemen, favorite bits? I think for for for, for me, it's the. Um... There's not a single scene that I think that jumps out. I think, oh, that's that that really makes the film. Obviously, yeah. the 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 test, you know, the testing from the thing is is great, but it is just basically, you know, 
the scene from the thing doesn't really necessarily add add a huge amount to it. But I just think I think that the the, the yeah the two th- first two thirds are, are really strong. I think it knows what it is. But yeah, I think that that there's some there's some decent action in there. You know, there's some decent you know tension, some good scares. Um, but yeah, there's no there's no real kind of standout scene for me. Having said that, <laughs> just to contradict myself, <laughs> the one scene that I really did like is towards the end where the, the, the whole of the football team starts running after them and they're all full in uniform. I thought it was quite striking mm. the, with yeah. them being chased. Chucking it down with rain. Yeah, and it was quite an interesting, it reminded me of any given Sunday, but there was there, there was <laughs> some, it was quite kind of, there was the, the, the threatening image of all these, you know, this whole team chasing you in full football gear with the helmets and pads, I thought was 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 really yeah, interesting. What about you, Sai? I mean, I, I I can't look past the scene where they're all doing the um, rip off of the thing. Yeah, I, mean, you love I the love, thing. Yeah, I mean, I love the thing. I, I I think it's a really good nod and reference, and it's a massively obvious sort of reference to it. But yeah, the bit in that scene where because Casey Elijah Wood takes the first snort of it, so he's like off his head and he's tweaking because he's just like this little nerd who's never been there, and. I think it is it between uh, Zeke and the jock guy. What's the jock guy called? Stan. Stan. And and Elijah Woods just in the background and he goes, Oh, showdown. <laughs> <laughs> it just, and it's like like that see that that bit has always just I just always keel over laughing at that bit. And it, it must have been ad libbed because I don't think Elijah Woods in focus in that shot. He's just <laughs> yeah. in the background, just randomly piping up um and they must have decided that yeah it's brilliant we've got to keep that um but there was another bit as well it's just a throwaway line where uh mary beth is with zeke and zeke's trying to get all his stuff for his science experiments and uh she says to him like oh so you borrow from the science labs and he goes no i like to see it as stealing (laughs) (laughs) this is a really good line because it's it's the other way around isn't it (laughs) So yeah, I, I those two bits. But no, Elijah Wood, um, showdown. <laughs> what about you, James? Uh, so yeah, really basic. But uh, Robert Patrick giving Shooter McGavin the gun and the wink was very enjoyable. <laughs> uh, I'm all for a Happy Gilmore reference whenever we could get it in. And the lead up to uh, Famke Janssen's head coming off, she's like in the back of uh, Josh Hartnett's car, isn't he? He's like mm. she's like trying to infect him and he's driving around like a crazy person and um they they smash into a school bus and he's got his belt on and she goes straight through the windscreen and they like they just chucked like they, they just ragdolled this dummy across the <laughs> car park it was really like brutal it was all uh john travolta in in broken arrow to be honest <laughs> like, slow motion ragdolled into another bus i don't know how, at what point her head came off but it was uh it was a pretty visceral sequence to be fair and uh really well executed yeah there are a lot of, like random bits like that where it goes a bit like too but you're like oh, bloody hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would mean, when pam jensen uh confronts josh hartner when she's been infested and starts having like, laying into him. I, I, I thought that was a great scene. I think she, I think she calls him tit bags at one stage, which I yeah. thought was very amusing. <laughs> but I thought that was she really, you know, relished the opportunity to lay into him. I thought, yeah, that was a standout moment. He, he deserved it. He absolutely deserved it. He did. Um, 
so so chaps reconsideration james so uh honestly it's not as good as when i was 14 it's incredibly silly massively derivative but ultimately really quite fun uh, it gets by mostly on the strength of its excellent cast, snarky dialogue, and well-executed sequences, to the point that it almost doesn't matter that nothing makes sense and it completely falls apart in the final third, even by the standards of movie logic. Uh, you know, 90s nostalgia plays a huge part in my enjoyment of this. If you weren't a teenager in that era, the baggy jeans and scar metal and Bad attitudes and shonky CGI might not work for you, but as disposable Friday night teen horror flicks go, this is pretty solid, I think, and well worth another watch. Nice. Uh, Chris, what, what, what about yourself? Yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised with the with the rewatch. It's been a long time since I've seen this, and I do think it is, it's, for what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a solid, you know, it's a, it's a Friday night, turn your brain off kind of film, isn't it? It's... it's um, I like the fact, like I said before, that it leans into the sort of 50s sci-fi tropes without it being kind of too knowing. Obviously, I'd love the, the, the Carpenter sort of references. You know, the cast really does, you know, does wonders for this for the, for the, for the film. You know, the script isn't as polished as, you know, some of other Kevin Williamson's kind of work. Um, but there's an awful lot to, 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 to recommend, I think. Yeah, the, 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 you know, there's... Um, I think it's also a slightly forgotten you know, film within Rodriguez's kind of filmography. And it's great that he's still working. He's like doing like Mandalorian now as in Boba Fett. Mm. But, you know, at that, that period of beginning of his career, this is sort of the anomaly in that because he, he was usually, you know, writing the films uh, or kind of co-writing. Um, so I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it is, you know, a little sort of, you know, you know, you get to revisit this this sort of you know time and place of the nineties where Offspring were cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was a small, small. Yeah, it's a very small period of time. <laughs> <laughs> and for yourself, Sai, was it as everything that you hoped it'd be in, in from your memory? Well, I mean, with with a bevy of sex pests involved. Uh... <laughs> I like you know some of the names of the credits do leave a bit of a sour taste, but we'll if we park that particular hot potato, um, you know I think the faculty is certainly it's certainly of a time, um, you know with all the teen stereotypes, the nineties skater punk and awful fringes or bangs as they <laughs> say in America, um, but I do I do have a soft spot for this film. I did all, all these year, those years ago, and I I still do now. It it might be Robert Rodriguez's least Robert Rodriguez film, but it's just heaps of fun um, with a stacked cast that are all totally in on the vibe that, that they're going for. Um, it's not exactly scary in terms of horror, uh, but I, you know, I, I think it definitely deserves to be regarded in that upper tier of you know mid to late 90s teen horror movies like Your Screams and Your Final Destinations. And with it being a real homage to horror films of yesteryear, like The Thing and, you know, as you say, Chris, the 50s sort of B-movie stuff, um, but then cloaked in this 90s facade, I, I think it's aged surprisingly well. A lot of that is because it's so time-stamped and because it's really, like, making an effort to be really uber-90s. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why it's aged so well. You know, if you haven't seen it and you're a fan of the, that era of teen horror, definitely it should be on the list. If you have seen it, you know, it, 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 
worth a rewatch, I think, just to to sort of weigh it up against films of of nowadays and see if it, if it has sort of stacked up over time for you. But for me, it certainly has. I think it's it's such good fun, despite its misgivings. The, there are things where we're a bit like hokey about it, but you know, I still I still love it. Right, that was great fun, gents. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the pod. Everyone, yeah, check out Really 007 and the tapes if you aren't already. Oh, I'm trying to remember how we wrap this up now. <laughs> 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 so next time on the pod, we actually don't know what's next on the is it, pod. Is it, as it is it's Rob's, Rob's picks got... next time. Chris, you want to pick so... a film from the uh, so it's either going to be Seagal or Aliens or a Bigfoot picture or maybe all three in some weird blend that he's found in the in the, <laughs> in the depths of Prime Video. Uh, but do join us for whatever that will be. We'll shout it out on the Twitters. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at FYR Film Pod. Please give us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed any of our episodes that we've done over the last couple of years. And you can also give us a five-star rating on Spotify. Now, Spotify have finally opened up a rating system, so if you just go to the podcast, you can hit us with the five stars there. Uh, But in the meantime, take care of yourselves. See you next time. Say goodbye, boys. Goodbye, boys. See ya. And thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. It's a blast. What a treat. Thank you for having me on. I would do the uh, the Bond one, but I'm, um, I'm, I don't really know Bond that well. <laughs> <laughs>